This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. I just absolutely enjoyed this fabulous conversation I had with Ram LaPointe. He is the founder and CEO at Capricorn Leadership. He has built over 10 companies. He's a business advisor and coach to CEOs and leadership teams and boards. And he is just all around an amazing example of human courageous leadership. We talk about everything from self-leadership to teams to looking at organizational deliberate practices. And I think whether you have a formal leadership role or not, there's richnesses in this conversation because we don't look at leadership as a role and we all have an opportunity to show up as a leader. So we talk a lot about self-leadership as a starting point and move beyond that. You're going to want to listen for the seven most powerful words a leader can say. And he also talks about a way that we can all look at and measure how healthy is our team. And if we think about team health, that can help us lead into organizational health. So such richness in this conversation, you might want to have a pen handy or something to take notes or come back and listen to it later because there's really, really good nuggets that I think we all can use regardless of our title or role. If we start to really look at the opportunity that every single one of us has to show up as a leader in our life, it starts with self. And I know you're really passionate about self-leadership. Can you say a little bit about why that is and how you got to this point? I've had a pretty interesting and fun career. I started as an engineer and never thought I'd be a business guy and then ended up in the business side of things as a sales engineer and project manager and ultimately working with uh, leading teams and then running companies. So I've now founded a number of companies and run companies for other people as well and what I learned along the way, sort of the hard way, was that while we have big goals and we're pushing hard ourselves and our team, there's something that gets lost sometimes in that process of pushing hard for big goals, which is taking care of ourselves and taking care of our team. So I've reframed what success meant for me, which was, you know, I want to reach my and my team's maximum potential without cost to our health or our family, or our organization. And what I mean by that is I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders who's wildly successful financially that have lost their health or lost their family or their relationships along the way in pursuit of those goals. And so I think there needs to be and can be still huge success while taking care of yourself and the team around you. So it starts with how you live your life and how I live my life in terms of the decisions I make and the choices I make and priorities I, I set. Uh, someone told me a long time ago that your priorities can be measured by your checkbook or your calendar. Now, people don't use checks anymore, so it would probably be your credit card statement or your Venmo. But the idea is if you're not putting your time and or money around it, it's not really a priority. So things like working out, when I hire a trainer, things go better. And so when I put that commitment there or I have an accountability buddy along the way to keep me in check, because it's very easy as a as the leader, as the CEO, to want to cheat time and work really late, get up really early. And I've just found that that doesn't present then as the best version of myself when I'm in front of the team. So that's really why uh, I think self-leadership is so critical. And I think about these four 
big domains, which are not a, nothing new, but it's a good question for our listeners to think about is what are you doing in these four big areas, right? Physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. Those are four big, broad topics, but each one of those gives us ways to work on our own development. And so those four things came to me probably 20 years ago from another coach. And I continuously work in those four areas for myself. And then even more importantly, I think, encouraging my team to do the same thing. So making sure they're taking care of themselves, their families, their teams. And then that's a positive cascade throughout the organization. I love everything about that. And one, I love it. You're like, yeah, through a lot of hardships. Because let's be honest, we learn the most from stuff that goes sideways. And I think most people that finally get the importance of self-care as a path to success, self-care as a path to effectiveness, self-care as a path to leadership have been on the opposite end, right? Burning out, working yourself too much, having the cost that you talk about, whether it's relationships or health. And I think this is so timely because in our crazy, hectic, disruptive world that we're in. And as you start to hear various companies doing layoffs and reduction in force while others can't find people, right? We've got this weirdness happening with the shrinking of the economy. And what's interesting is there's almost a temptation for old school business practices to push people harder that actually flies in the face of not only well-being emotionally, physically, spiritually, et cetera, but that also flies in the face of effectiveness because we can't be on all the time and have good results. So I just think there's such wisdom in what you're talking about. And I want to unpack a few things with this because one is we've all heard the put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. And yet a lot of us don't do it or it is a struggle. And I also think there's something around not just how we practice our self-care, but I think there's something around boundaries and how you communicate what you need. And so what I love about when you said support your team, like whatever that practice is, let's say it's this ingredients to be my best or something else. But if you know what that is for you, do you know what that is for your team members? So you can support one another and be like, God, I notice you seem distracted or you seem anxious? Can you go take a break and go take a walk? Or can you go have some rest and recover time? And so I think there's a lot in that. So how do you, when you're working with groups and with teams, how do you help them create some deliberate practices where self-leadership and self-care is the norm? Because if you have one person who's trying to do it and there's not support around them, it's going to be really hard. Very much. So I want to give credit to this Harvard Business Review article from a long time ago called The Making of a Corporate Athlete. In sports, world-class athletes, they do a lot of practice and training, and then they have a game. So it's practice, practice, game. Practice, practice, game. And in business, it's game, game, game all the time. You're always on. And so we've got to create rituals or just good habits that support the recovery that we need. And so a lot of times people think about that as sleep recovery or rest recovery, and, and that's a huge part of it but it's also during the day. And so making sure that we have little breaks, back-to-back -back calls have some way to break those up by maybe shortening your calls to 50 minutes instead of 60. All sorts of little tips and tricks. But I think the idea is having rituals or practices or habits that are serving you and your team well. And the best way that I would encourage leaders to do that is to celebrate those things, recognize those things, and talk about them on an ongoing basis. So if you have one-on-ones with your team, and if you're not, you should. I think having one-on-ones is the way to connect, whether it's virtual or in person. 
and just asking people how they're doing. Asking them how they're doing in those four areas is one simple way I do it. How are you doing emotionally, physically, spiritually, and, and intellectually? And it isn't that I want to pry into their personal worlds too much. But as you know, we show up at work. We're the same people we show up at home. So while I agree there needs to be some boundaries, if you've got negative things happening emotionally at home or at work, it leaks into the other part of your life. Oh, 100%. And so I think recognizing that and making it safe to talk about that is an important part of, of leadership. One of my colleagues and I were doing this webinar series on mental health and emotional well-being in the workplace and leaders' role. And it's incredible how much is coming out about that people actually, obviously, we want to know that our leader cares about us, but also that they're supportive of our mental health and our emotional well-being. And it also reminds me of Pat Lencioni, one of his books, he talked about remedying the three causes of job misery. And one of them is irrelevance that like they don't know me as a person. And so one of the guidances that we give to leaders is list everybody that's on your team and then make it a point over the next two weeks to go find out two things that you didn't know about them before. When you take a genuine interest, it honors a core human need we all have to feel like we're seen and heard and to feel like we matter, which I think is a, a great segue into in today's day and age, how do we find that balance? You know, how do we show people that we care, but also honor whatever boundaries might be there? It can be uncomfortable for some people to lean in and ask questions because you don't know what you're going to receive, and then you might not know how to deal with it. If they bring up difficult emotions, what am I going to do with that? So how do we start to really put that core human need and people back at the forefront of how we operate? If we don't do these fundamental things as leaders, we're just not meeting our responsibilities. And so we have to take care of our people. It doesn't mean we are coddling or giving them a free pass at all. We all need to have a good balance of clear metrics and expectations and where we're we going on the business side and what we're trying to accomplish together as a team. But the reality is, as human beings, we are a team and we need to rely on each other for those things too. And so I think it's wise to learn and get better as a leader about how to handle things on the emotional spectrum. And emotional intelligence is one of those big phrases, but there's lots of work to do. Understanding people's styles through assessments and how they communicate. But I would say if people are coming with things that are beyond your expertise or your comfort level, it doesn't mean you can't talk about it. It just means you're not the one that's going to solve it. You're there to listen and understand and maybe direct them to a counselor or some professional help that they may need and not even know that they have permission to do that. So you don't have to solve everything or know everything. I certainly don't. But I do know that just asking the questions and caring enough to open the door to those conversations can build that trust that we so desperately need in our teams. I would say it's not even just that we don't have to know everything like about what's going on in their well-being, but we don't have to know everything, period, nor can we. And I think so many leaders have this, like, I have to know the answers or my value as a leader is to solve. And I always say, your value as a leader is to connect and to call other people to greatness and to figure out where you can help them rally their resourcefulness. And sometimes you can help connect them to somebody who knows how to do X, Y, Z or has the answers to it. Or you, it's okay to say, I don't know let me do some digging and I'll get back to you. And again, whether you have a formal leadership role or an informal leadership role, it's applicable. And now that I do some coaching work, I, I, I come back to this all the time. It's asking questions. It's not knowing answers. It's not being the answer person. If you're the answer person, that's going to limit your growth and your team's growth. So 
the seven most powerful words of a leader that I was taught a long time ago is, I don't know, what do you think? So asking people when they come to you with a question, don't give them the answer, especially if you know the answer. If you have a thought of what it could be, working on your own uh, techniques to say, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I have an opinion on this, but I'd like to hear yours. Or what are your options? What are you considering? And then you can kind of coach them. So leader as coach is what I really think about. And that can be as a parent, as a teammate, as a peer, or as a sort of an authority role as a leader. But asking coaching questions and letting people come up with their own sort of answers is very successful. And I've learned this also in my entrepreneurs organization, EO work, which is a global network of entrepreneurs. And we have a forum, which is a small group setting where we have all these type A CEOs that want to fix and solve problems. We are good at solving problems. And we are taught in that environment to not solve, but just to experience share. So if we don't give answers, if we ask questions, and if we share our experiences instead of giving them the right thing to do, we're going to grow our team beyond our ability to solve everything. It's about building other people's capability rather than their dependency. Like any good leader should, in theory, any good coach, any good consultant, over time, you work yourself out of a job, meaning you have called other people to greatness so much that you're just kind of there as like a resource, but they don't like need you, need you anymore. And that's a good thing, right? Because we're growing other people. We build scalability through others. Yeah, And I think there's lots of hats that we wear in the work that we do, but ultimately I want to become that trusted advisor that's asking questions, showing blind spots, and really helping guide qualified, capable people. So I don't have to be the expert. And I don't think our CEOs need to be either. They need to be great head coaches and building great, strong teams. It sounds all lovely. And I think there's a big difference of whether or not we are in kind of calm, static times in our life versus this hectic, chaotic, constant change, constant disruption. Like one, we can show up with tried and true methods and we can coast and rest and we're good. The stakes aren't so high. And when the stakes are higher, yeah, all bets are off. And I think with all that is going on in the world, there's been this constant stream of crises over the past three years and people's capacity to handle change is almost cut in half. Talk about why change is so challenging. So I think you and I have a very similar approach, but kind of how you're working with people these days to navigate this messiness of constant change. It's a great question and, and topic. I, I'll just say, though, do you believe we're going to go back to normal and, and where everything's fine? Of course fine? we're not. But, pe but people are waiting for it. That's the thing. They're waiting for like some magical reset. Yeah. That's sort of the thing. I, whether it's self-leadership or team leadership or change management, being rigid isn't going to work in my workout regime, right? Used to be that if I didn't work out in the morning, I lost the whole day because I had in my head, I had to do it first thing. And that was the best thing to do. I now have changed that entirely with travel schedules and all sorts of things that come up without planning. I need to just make sure I commit to that day. I'm going to do something. I'm going to find time to do my workout. That's the commitment. So change management is similar to me in the sense that we have to be really clear about what we expect and where we want to go, but not so rigid in how we're going to get there. And understand that people really do want to do what's right more often than not. They also want to do what's good for the organization. And the responsibility, again, of leaders is to talk about 
what do they see? What do you think? And bring them into the conversation. But change management kind of one-on-one is getting your stakeholders, your people involved, and then getting them to commit to the change instead of thrusting change upon them. And one of the things that we do in our work is we have controlled, scheduled change on a quarterly basis. So we are always working on some new things every quarter, but we do that with intake and ideas from the entire organization through different channels. And so we're looking at what do we need to do next to handle what's going on in our external environment or to make sure we take care of things that are changing within our company and our clients. Those premeditated, thoughtful, controlled changes give us something to hang on to. Even in the midst of that change, we know we're going to be doing something a little bit differently, but it's not going to be wildly different every quarter or every month or every week. So having our leaders control that pace as much as possible is really powerful. Jim Collins talks about in the book, Great by Choice, the 20 mile march. On a good day, let's go 20 miles, not 40 or 50 and burn ourselves out. Let's leave something in the tank. And then on a challenging day, let's fight through to get those 20 miles, wherever the 20 miles means to you. So getting something that's a bit controlled and understanding that a sequence and a series of good, positive days is going to give us the outcome, not everything all at once. I'm reminded of Peter Senge once upon a time said, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. And then that reminds me of Margaret Wheatley, and she says, people only support what they've helped to create. And if we don't include people in the process, they're going to show up as resistors and saboteurs and whatnot. And I think that gets lost when we think about change. So typically it's you know, an executive team with a consultant or going off to retreat or going off on these quarterly meetings and coming up with a plan and then cascading it down. But I love what you were sharing because I think we need to think about, you know, every person in an organization has a different vantage point. If you look at what does it mean to be a resilient and a high reliable organization, we have to default to the people who are closest to the work. Are you including them? Are you considering people who this decision or this process or this change is going to impact? And so often when I see change goes sideways or organizations struggle with change management or they're over relying on lean and they're forgetting about the people side of things. They're focused on process and it's like, why isn't this working? Well, because if you didn't include people in the conversation, they're either going to resist it or they're going to be frustrated because it doesn't fit. It's not just managing the pace because that's super important, but also continuing to have like that purpose, continuing to have that, like I get how I fit in And I know how I can contribute. That's the lighthouse that cuts through the fog of the disruption of waters that helps ground us in these day in, day out when things go sideways. I think the pace is important to circle back on in the sense that I'm speaking from my experience as well as some of my clients. We get frustrated quickly when we see where we want to go or we see what's going to be better. We see the change that how that could help us be more profitable, save time even if it's a good thing for for all of our folks, right? Take some time out of their day with a new system or process, that's still loss for them. And so we have to just remember that as fast as we want to go, we cannot get there without our team. We have to bring them with us and ideally have them lead the way. So they know better than we do what's taking up their time. We just continue to ask them. And I would rather get a lot of small wins that build toward that big purpose been huge step changes that are super disruptive. And that's that's sort of the balancing act. How do we continually cycle lots of small wins that people really care about that helps them and gets us toward our goal? So that's the work I think of leadership teams is not to understand how to do it all, but really where we want to go and how we can bring the team along through communication strategies 
involving them before, during, and after those changes are put in place. You said something really important that I want to emphasize. You said we can be so excited about the change. We can be so excited about what's next. And change is normal. It's constant. It can be a good thing. But we forget that change also means we have to let go of something. And there is that loss factor. And I think that that doesn't get realized or cared for enough because as human beings, our brains are hardwired to seek out familiarity and to seek out comfort. So in the force of, you know, massive change and disruption, it is like bumping us up against our own human biology and our own human DNA. So how else do you help people in teams process that loss and navigate through it? Because I think that gets overlooked too much. Oftentimes the leadership team is already committed to the change before it's even been rolled out. So even with input from the organization, through different channels, right? Even with input, when you make a decision of what we're going to do, what we're going to fund and spend time on, we get committed to that as a leadership team. And then we still have to sort of announce that or roll that out or share that with our organization. In that process, that time becomes where we get frustrated because we don't often want to wait for people to catch up or process that loss. So part of it is to communicate what isn't changing. You hear a lot of good things that are still going to be in the same as they were yesterday or the day before. And those are usually your core values, your purpose, the things that really matter the most ultimately that aren't changing. But what we are going to change is some of the how we do stuff and look at what does that mean to those individual groups or people impacted. So if it's going to be training they need to support them through that, if it's going to be some more workshops to understand blind spots that we didn't consider fully, what are the things that'll make this be successful? It might take a little more time. But the result at the end is going to be much better. And again, be prepared for that next set of changes, whatever that next set is. One of the challenges also that I think compounds this is a lot of my leaders that I work with, including myself, don't like to repeat ourselves. We say things once and we're like, good, we're all smart. We're all adults. You got it, right? We're good. We can move on. That just doesn't work. If it's truly important to the organization, to your team, to where you're going and We have to repeat ourselves a lot. And many people have said this, but I give credit to Lencioni for saying, you know, seven equals one. We have to over-communicate organizational clarity. And that is really hard for certain leaders of certain styles. They get, again, impatient and they want to just move on to the next thing. So having our messaging down, really getting clear as a team of why we're doing this change, why it is going to be good once we're through this process, those core messages need to be repeated and repeated and repeated. I'm leading a a change project right now for a global organization with hundreds of leaders. And boy, boy, they are a forgetful bunch. This is why we're doing it. And we continue to go back to some of the core messaging that's still true. But if we don't keep that going, it's very easy for whether it's skeptics or just new people that come into the team midway through this as, as teams are changing they, they lose sight of the why we're doing this in the first place. Well, and again, I go back to human nature. We fall back on what's familiar and what's comfortable. It's kind of in our inner human DNA. Going back to our conversation about you know your self-leadership and what you need to be your best, if we don't build in deliberate practices that allow us to do that, our day gets away from us and we haven't done whatever that is that we need, whether it's a workout or whether it's connecting with people or reflection time or whatever that might be. And same on organizational level. If we don't build in deliberate practices in terms of, how we hire, how we onboard, how we go about change projects, how we go about day-to-day business. If we don't have very 
deliberate practices hardwired in that include over-communicating clarity that keep bringing us back to some kind of constant, that's where stuff goes astray. And I think we think, oh, we shouldn't have to do that anymore. Or you know what? We have a module on our purpose and values, and that should be enough. We have to move beyond check the box. As, as you know, core values, purpose, those types of things, they're foundational. But the words on the wall or in the module or in the video, it, it's not enough. It's the stories about how it's coming, how it's happening right now, how it happened yesterday. Who did such an amazing job showing up, supporting a core value, living our purpose? Those are real and they happen all the time. If we take the time, to recognize them and, and thank them for that. There's a point that flips for CEOs and entrepreneurs and founders of businesses where they go from being the smartest person in the room to not being the smartest person in the room. And they can either like that or fight against that. And I think that's one of the biggest changes of all is if you're the smartest person in your room with your team, then you're in the wrong room. You need to upskill your team give them some more space to do that and not be the smartest person and become not the superstar performer, but the head coach. That's difficult when a lot of our leaders are player coaches or just players. They just want to be in the game doing deals or making things happen or being the technical expert. That's their own sort of personal change grieving that they have to go through. And that's why working on yourself can help you handle those things better and then show up for your team and support them as they go through those changes. 100%. So when you think about organizations that have these deliberate practices in place where leaders recognize, hey, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. It's not purpose washing. It's not just words on a website, but we actually are recognizing people and living people and storytelling and really keeping our purpose and values alive. In my mind, like that, those are all practices that help reinforce a culture, right? We talk about like an intentional culture versus an accidental culture. Do you have deliberate practices so that there's a consistent lived experience wherever you are in the company or is it left to chance? And so can you talk a little bit about with, with all of the things that you do, how do you know if a company is moving the needle with their culture? What tells you that this is embedded in and they have a culture that serves them well? There's lots of answers for that, but I think there's a couple that come to mind, first of all. So in, in a book that I'm sure you know well, but the Crucial Conversations book, it it does, I think, the best job of of answering simply a very difficult question, which is how healthy is my team? So culture is going to be a part of healthy teams. So I'm connecting those dots. How do you know your team is healthy? And you could actually measure the length, the lag time between an issue that comes up and resolving that issue. So if you have an issue with a teammate, or someone else on your team that upset you or disrespected you or something happened, if that lingers for a month or a quarter or a year or never gets resolved, that's not very healthy. If it's something you can talk about right away or within a 24-hour period, that's pretty healthy. So you can know and measure that if you wanted to, the health of the team by that sort of lag time barometer. On the culture side, then, if we have healthy teams and we want more and more autonomous teams that are still in line with our culture, and building towards that same sort of mountaintop purpose experience, they need to have their autonomy. So it needs to be diverse and different. How do we measure that? There's a book called Prime to Perform, and it, it looks at six different motivators for any team member that looks at the financial piece. Am I doing this for the paycheck or am I doing it because I really care about the work? Am I doing it because it's connected to what I care about or just for what the company cares about? So it's not just an engagement survey. It's truly what are the motivators for you and your team and then looking at that sort of making progress over time. So 
with all the challenges we have that come from sort of toxic cultures, the boards want more measures from CEOs to not just take the CEO's word, culture's strong, but understanding that there's got to be real evidence there. So that's a growing field that you're going to have more and more instruments and assessments available to help us measure that. So I would say experiment, but start doing something to measure it to give you some baseline. So we have a culture survey that we've been doing for years as well. And there's other tools out there. And it's so funny because you have people that are like, well, I don't want to measure it because they want to be in denial or they don't want to hear it. And I always say, not measuring it or not having that data doesn't make it go away. And of course, don't measure it if you're not going to communicate the results or do something with it, because that's worse than not measuring at all. But like, let's be clear, like it's the elephant in the room just because you're not choosing to like actually look at the metrics, right? It's like, I'm not going to go to the doctor and get that blood test because I don't want to know what it's going to say. The other thing that I really appreciate about how you're looking at this is culture is ultimately experienced at that local team level and psychological safety is experienced at that local team level. And so often I think as organizations, culture can feel overwhelming and it really is built team by team. And so when you start to have strong, healthy, effective teams, there's a ripple effect. So anyone that's listening, like you're on a team, how you show up and interact with your team is going to have a profound impact on the culture. And if you are the formal leader of a team, you have the biggest influence over that. So even more reason why you want to work on yourself and all of those things. So speaking of working on yourself, One of the things that I've learned over my lifetime is that we are messy human beings and that I'm obsessed about normalizing the messiness of being human because we all get in our own way. We all have a five, 10-year-old version of ourselves that hijacks us from time to time. And so, Ram, I'm going to turn the tables on you a little bit, and I would love if you would share what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes it still shows up and when it shows up how do you move forward so you can still show up as a leader and maximize a positive impact around you so i'll share one that i think i'm managing pretty well and one that i'm struggling with mightily as of this moment i'm an only child and my parents tried for a lot of years to have other kids and it didn't work out and so i grew up with this i'm not enough story And that led me to overperform and to overachieve to try to get that recognition. But it was a bit false because on the inside, I felt like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't funny enough. I wasn't whatever enough. And so in a leadership role, when you do that, you don't show up vulnerable. You don't allow yourself to not know the answers. You don't allow yourself to ask questions. You want to prove you're smart and you know it all. And so that I'm not enough story has followed me for my entire career. And what I realized now through lots of work, a little therapy, is that I am enough and I can get better. And I've got a long history of things that have gone well and people that are around me that care for me, that are cheering me on in my family and in work, that I'm doing well. But I don't have to have that false sense of proving myself. So I guess it's comfort in my own skin, so to speak, that's taken just a lot of time. But reminding myself about those wins not in a prideful way, but more as an anchor to say, look, I have done some good stuff. It has been successful and I don't need to put on some artifice. I I love your authenticity. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I swear that 80% of the leaders that I coach 
had that, right? There's something in our childhood that says we're not enough. And then we overcompensate because we're trying to feel that enoughness. And one thing you said that I'm like, oh my God, I just wanted to do a mic drop was that you're like, I am enough and I can get better. They're not mutually exclusive. And so often like we can say I am enough and not because I've achieved this. I am enough as a human being, period. I am enough in this moment and I can constantly work on being better. It's not an either or. I love that. Okay. So what's the one you're still working on? I want to hear it. A lot of folks over the years have said, hey, you know, you're, you're really good at this or that, or I like what you say here. Why don't you write your book? When are you going to write your book? When's your book coming out? And, you know, some people have said it as a marketing tool, like you need a book, right? Some people have said they really want to know what I think. And I have resisted and I'm still actively resisting. I've started, I've worked on it. I've looked at hiring people to help me do it. I've had accountability coaches and I just have not done it and I'm not doing it. I'm actively not doing it right now. But I would like to. It's on my list. The penny hasn't dropped or whatever for me to actually commit. So one, thank you for that. And I'm smiling because I'm like, oh, Ram, I need to put you through the immunity to change coaching map process because it's like, I want to do this. Why am I getting my own way? And I'll just tell you, as much as you've worked on your not enough, I guarantee there's probably something that's, if I put myself out there, right, that's going to like, I'm really not enough. Anyway, love it. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. So are you ready for quick questions? Sure, 100%. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Essential. Bam. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Think about some regrets and remind myself that the things I felt that I regret, this opportunity might give me a chance to have another shot. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? (laughs) I like some really bad movies that are critically panned and watch them over and over again. You know what? You couldn't have teed this up better because I kid you not. My next question is, what is your favorite go-to movie? Oh, no way. Uh, All right. So I I think one of the best movies of all time is Armageddon with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. I've watched the movie a ton of times. It's got some cringy scenes in it, but it's great. I can quote many of the lines from that movie. All right. What's your go-to song? Oh, boy. I'm very mood-based with my music. I'm a musician, so it depends on the mood. But there's a Sia song called Unstoppable that is, that is sort of my, you know, in the morning, if I'm, if I'm going on stage that day to speak, I listen to some Sia. Got it. And what do you play? I play guitar, electric and acoustic. Okay. What is something you can't live without? I immediately think of like family and friends, but I can't live without reading. I need to be taking in new content. I need to know. I, I need, that's why I want to write is because I read so much. What's the uh, best book you've read recently? So business book, Jim Collins reissued his first book, Beyond Entrepreneurship. So it's BE 2.0 that just came out. I really appreciated how he recast. He put people as the front and center, which is something he said he had missed in earlier books. So for such a successful guy to admit I got something a little wrong and correct that, I think is a lesson for all of us. And then there's a fantastic science fiction book called This Is How You Lose the Time War. It's a great modern time travel romance thing. It's, it's a nice. fantastic. Love it. We got some extra tips. All right. What is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? We have an Australian shepherd puppy who just, you know, that you can't not smile when you see that dog. Oh, so. what's, what's the dog's name? 
Murphy. Murphy. Oh, love, love, love me some puppies. And what are you grateful for right now? Oh, gosh, so many things. I'm grateful for our conversation today. I'm grateful for the ability to have the conversation. I'm grateful for my health, my family that loves me and is so good to me, my four kids and a wife that are just they're awesome. So I'm super lucky. That's awesome. Well, Rom, I'm going to give you one closing question. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? I would say have the conversations that you need to have, whether they're tough conversations to get clear on something, to get clear on expectations. But too many of our people that follow us don't know where they stand. They don't know what was really expected of them. And they can't really be successful and step into their own greatness if they don't know what their leaders are thinking or expecting. So we've got to share it and share it in a way that that is kind and human, but don't not say it. Don't avoid the conversation. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button.